Welcome to the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Chalmers, a shoulder and elbow surgeon at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. And I'm joined today by my co-host, Rachel Frank, a sports and shoulder surgeon at the University of Colorado in Denver. Rachel, how are you? Pete, I'm doing terrific. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. I'm glad to have you with you here today. It's so before we get started, I should mention that the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeon Society, the University of Utah, the University of Colorado, or the institutions of any of our guests. Okay, today we have an episode for you on a difficult topic, which is giving feedback. Now, as surgeons, we are often leaders on teams, clinical teams, research teams. Often we interact with trainees. So almost all surgeons are frequently faced with situations where we must give feedback, good or bad, to members of our team. Now, giving bad feedback, bad feedback is an art all to itself. How do you give, get someone to consider changing their behavior instead of just feeling attacked or getting defensive? How do you take an opportunity to motivate them? And to discuss, I've invited two shoulder surgeons who are currently leading residency program directors, and thus they have to frequently deliver feedback. So first from Case Western, we had in Cleveland, we have Dr. Rob Gillespie. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Pete and Rachel. Really, thanks you guys for the opportunity. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Okay, and then next from West Palm Beach, Florida, we have Dr. Uh, Manny Sabazin. Manny, how are you? I'm doing great. Nervous about feedback, but yes, I'm here. <laughs> well, we're, we're excited to have you. So let's start at the beginning. So, Rob, um, tell us a time where you had to just deliver some negative feedback to one of your trainees. How did you handle that? What, what methods do you have for getting that done in, in an efficient manner that motivates that resident? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question, right? And uh, we're dealing with a new generation of learners, right? As you guys are all aware of, and and it's a phenomenal time. And every generation deals with changes to the way everyone learns, right? So, I think feedback given now is a lot different than it was back when, like, you'd get active, like, negative feedback all the time, right? So, if you have to give negative feedback now, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think as long as it's not compromising patient care and there's an opportunity to learn from it, uh, that the opportunity to do this is, 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 and when to do it is key. Meaning that it, gone are sort of the days of berating someone in the hallway or doing things like that uh, for no good reason and then acting like nothing happened, right? And and so I think at this time, again, as long as there's like no compromise in patient care that could occur if you don't provide that negative feedback at, at that exact time, you have to find a time and space for that learner to to understand what they did and why they did it and how they could improve. So the biggest thing for me actually is to, before I even provide any negative feedback, is to ask the learner exactly what what their recollection of the process was. Because I find that if they sort of can tell you what happened and how it happened, um, that that provides some insight into it. Instead of you going right at them uh, and them becoming very defensive, they will again look at it and say, okay, well, this is what happened, Dr. Gillespie, and you know this is what we did. And this is what I thought we did, and this is why we did it for the patient or for the, the particular situation. And I think that's a great way to start uh, the process of providing negative feedback is to ask them their recollection of, of the scenario and what happened. And um, and then you can sort of go into what happened and how it could have been done differently. Um, and then at the end of that, I usually open it back up to them for a response uh, and, and allow them to sort of talk about sort of their, their side of the story and what they thought. The final thing is, is usually when I have to provide negative feedback, I actually uh, have them provide sort of a written synopsis of our conversation and a summary of the meeting, right? So they have to sort of think about it in a different term, right? And so, you know, that may be extreme in terms of like, you know, a recurring theme, but it's the same thing as negative feedback, right? So 
number one, give them an opportunity to give their side of the story. Number two, provide some feedback on how maybe their side of the story is a little bit different than how everyone else saw it or how it could have been done. And then number three, have them, uh, you know, sort of provide a very brief summary of what happened and how they could do things differently and uh, how they thought the other side could have done things differently as well. Let me ask both of you. I think when, when residents get nervous about feedback, it's, it, it, there's a lot of different scenarios, but I think two that come to mind are mistakes that they've made on call managing a patient and mistakes that they make in the heat of the moment, technically in the OR and how they respond to immediate feedback with each of those things because decisions need to get made based on the on what they're doing. So, Vani, let's ask you first. So, you have a resident scrubbed with you. They're you know they're doing something, and may, maybe they're doing something simple. They're placing a portal, and they place it in a spot that's unusable. What kind of feedback do you give them right then and there, and how do you handle that so that they don't you know become a head case for the rest of the case? But also, you need to make sure they know that that they need to get better at this. And right here, right now, is is potentially a good time to talk about that. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I when Rob sort of brought up how we think of you know the generational differences. You know, a lot of times I think you know the opposite of Rob in the sense that I didn't get a lot of feedback at all during residency, sometimes good or bad. And so I think sometimes just the opportunity to talk about that and talk through that with a resident is really in real time is such a great learning opportunity for them and you just because a lot of times you might not like what they do you take over a case and they don't really know what they did wrong and so to me just sort of being able to sort of articulate what they expect what they planned why they might have why you might have seen it different is really a learning opportunity for both of you in the sense of maybe you know myself i didn't articulate my expectations and they clearly made a sort of misperceived what they thought was right and wrong. So I think just sort of pointing out the differences sometimes and the preparation that goes into it is really a much better way to sort of take that negative feedback and spin it on sort of a preparation opportunity and maybe going forward something different they could do. Let me push you one step further on this. So, cause, cause I, I love that. And I, I agree. A lot of us don't get the, or didn't get the feedback that we might've needed or wanted or definitely should have gotten. What do you do in the situation where residents starting a case, they pop the scope in the, the, and then you look and they are intraglenoid, they, or intrahumeral head, they missed completely and, and potentially caused some harm. Now I'm sure this has never happened, but theoretically could happen. What do you do right then and there in terms of giving feedback or at least reacting to the resident? I mean, I think age um, is an opportunity for me to sort of be able to sort of sometimes take a little bit of comedy out of our errors and sort of point out the obvious there and maybe, oh, I might have done things different and then maybe take over to show them. Because I think sometimes you don't want someone to have that same opportunity to make those mistakes over and over again in a patient situation. But at the same time, maybe talk them through it instead of sort of just taking over. Can I, can I add to that? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's also, um, I think it's a great question. And actually I will tell you this has happened, right? Like, you know, especially in the shoulder, right? Like, you know, I think like getting into the knee, sometimes the scope, it happens and we're trying to teach people and you have to sort of let them do things. And so whether it may or may not have happened, let's pretend it did happen. 
Um, I also think it depends on the learner that's with you, right? Because some learners respond very well to like an increased level of pressure, right? That comes with, oh my gosh, what did I just do? And then Dr. So-and-so is my faculty and I'm right there. And it takes like, it's a pretty abrupt discussion, right? And then other faculty, other residents or learners might be like you say, Rachel, where you know they're going to crumble and they'll be out for the case if you like at all, you know, increase the level of intensity of that. But I think sometimes we forget and we have to remember that these are patients, right? And everything we do is critical to those patients, right? So if there comes a point that like potentially changes the way the outcomes are, you know, it becomes a very quick discussion um, about what they did and how they did it and, and what it potentially could have damaged, right? At that time, at that place, right? That's where it's not appropriate to wait to give sort of negative feedback. Um, and I think that, you know, you don't, you know, again, gone are the days of throwing things and things like that about it, right? It, it's more of a quick, abrupt conversation, uh, probably a little bit toned down so the reps and everyone else doesn't hear it, right? But enough so that they get the point across that they did something that was really potentially uh, damaging to the patient. And I, I do think you need to have that conversation uh, in, in addition to that so they get that real-time feedback. Because I think as Vani said, like, you know, it used to be they didn't get any feedback and now millennials uh, and all of us want more feedback right away. And there's lots of reasons for that. But I think it's all in all a great thing. Um, and the more feedback we give, the better, because if you give a ton of feedback and a few of them are negative, it's way better than getting no feedback except for the negative feedbacks. Yeah, I think everything I think you just said thing... is. Go ahead, oh, please. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say one thing further is, you know, the ABOS and you know, institutionally, they're trying to sort of incorporate this idea of these red cards or these moments, you know, whether it's in surgery or maybe just after that surgery, where you sort of freshen your memory, you can walk through steps you might have done differently, but maybe not in the over at that exact time is the opportune time to do that. Yeah, but I love, I love that idea. And I think I just was, Sam, you guys are, you two are perfect for this topic because you have so many good, so many good tips and I'm, I'm so glad that you guys can bring all these out. Like it's Rachel is making me remember that, you know, one of the things that I think has happened historically is people haven't wanted to give feedback. Nobody wants to give bad feedback. It's much easier as the tending to just let it wash under the bridge, take over the case, not tell the resident whatever's going on in your head. But it's so help, so helpful and important for our trainees and really for everyone in our teams that we if we see something that could be managed better for the outcome of the patient, that we provide direct, honest, clear feedback. That I think is one of the most important things is it's so, you know, when you have something you want to say, it's so, it's so easy to be like, well, I might've done it a little bit differently, but I think what you really want to say is next time I need you to do it like exactly like this in a different way than you did it so that it can be like, it's got to be specific or sometimes people don't like people can, can miss that message. Let me, let me ask you, Rachel, and I know you've worked with a lot of residents here. How, how have you, in the heat of the moment, you know, when you're in the operating room, clarified your thoughts to be able to clearly, like, directly communicate with whoever's with you about exactly how they need to, how they need to do something differently? Well, Pete, I would say sometimes uh, I do this a little bit too directly, and this is where I'm learning to be a better feedback giver-outer, so to speak. Um, I think early on in my career, if I didn't like the way someone was doing something or felt like they might harm a patient or I think honestly not harm a patient, but just not do it the way I like it. Maybe they do it the way someone else does it. 
Um, I think I would tell them right then and there, no, stop. We need to change or do it this way. I think now what I try to do is set the expectations ahead of time so that we don't have those issues that we have to react to. So if I'm having them drill a certain way, I, I direct them and I say, this is how I want you to hold your hand, or this is what you need to be looking at, or this is what I expect you to feel rather than in the heat of the moment, not setting that expectation. What What about, you know, Rob and Vani, or Vani, what, what do you guys do in the heat of the moment in those cases? Well, I think it's a great thing that you sort of pointed out. And sometimes I've learned over you know, the years of being an attending is that that gentle guidance to the right place where you might want them to be or the right um, landmarks they might need to observe and sort of just walking them through how you're thinking in that moment kind of can help rectify the situation. I think sometimes when we sort of have an idea in our mind that we've had much more years of experience, they don't know what they don't know. And if you're not there to verbalize that, it's a really like a lost, you know, blind leading the blind. And so I think it's just a such better opportunity if you can kind of walk yourself through it, you're walking them through it with you. Yeah, I mean, I would add to that, Rachel. I think that, and, and Vani, I think you guys are both raising good points. I think, Rachel, I, I would totally concur with what you're saying in terms of, like, if you set the expectations, it's a lot easier to provide the feedback while you're going, right? Um, and so that that's one way to avoid those episodes uh, of direct feedback when potentially something negative is happening. Um, I think if it's a first time, I think if you set the expectations, right, which is a key to what we're all trying to do better, right? Like we're all trying to do a better job of setting our goals and objectives and expectations, right? Because then we can provide the feedback and say, because feedback doesn't work if they don't know what we expect of them, right? And that's even more true today, right? And it's what Vanya just said, they don't know what they don't know. And we always forget that. We presume they know how to get into the shoulder if they're a PGY3. Yeah, but they may not know, right? So it's a stepwise goals, expectations. But I think in the heat of the moment, like, you know, I think we as orthopedic surgeons have gotten better at redirecting them saying, you know, this is what I would have done in this situation. And, and then later explain after the surgery, this is why I was thinking that at that time, you know, next time let's think about that. Right. And, and I think that that works a lot better. And I might take it even one further. What Rob said is one thing I learned for myself is sometimes, you know, um, self-reflection is a, is a purposeful goal to direct your trainees. And sometimes I'll say, these are the three things or one thing I would have done differently. And this is what I would have had you do differently. And by providing myself with some directive feedback, as well as them, you're kind of taking them off the hook. It's not just them failing, but together we could have all collectively done certain steps to make the case go better. One thing I'd love to pick both your brains on is the feeling of the person giving the feedback, the attending giving the feedback. And Pete mentioned this a little bit ago. It's hard to give feedback and no one likes giving negative feedback. It's much easier just to not give it at all, but that that we can't do anymore in 2022, 2023. But what I want to talk to you guys about is so much of faculty development, promotion, reviews, we call it PRISM reviews at the University of Colorado. So much of that is based on resident and fellow evaluations of the faculty. And they're anonymized, so they don't necessarily hold back on what they're feeling. Do you ever feel or do you have faculty that you mentor that feel that if they give negative feedback, that will in turn have negative repercussions for that faculty? 
I feel that sometimes with me, I get a little hesitant to give negative feedback because I don't want the trainee to then have repercussions and say, Dr. Frank's the worst, or she does this, or she yelled at me and have that go into a written evaluation of, of me and then be used against me as I, as I develop in my career or just hit my ego, even if it's not for career development, no one likes reading bad reviews on themselves. How do you guys approach this yourselves and how do you guide your young faculty on this? Rob, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, this is actually something that's been a real focus, right? Because as you alluded to, there's anonymous uh, feedback uh, going both ways, right? But it, it, it is an ego thing. There's a ton of my faculty on, in our residency program that would rather give no feedback, talk to me off the record about something, but not have anything on the record than actually put anything on the record that be negative. And then they would be perceived as not being as good of a person uh, and, and as good of a friend to the, to the residents. Um, so what we actually did at Case, and it sort of was in conjunction with when the ABOS started coming out with what they called the knowledge, skills, and behavior modules to sort of go in conjunction with the milestones that the residents get evaluated with. We actually started doing more mandatory direct feedback mechanisms where the residents and faculty would have to have two to five feedbacks uh, on cases they did during every rotation. And the goal of those wasn't so much to get more written things, because we all know that sort of all the written things are sort of generalized and they don't say a whole lot, but was to actually provide an opportunity for the residents to get more regular feedback. And the hopes of that actually were that, because no one takes negative feedback very well, but the hopes is that we'd have so much more feedback that when you did get a negative feedback from a faculty or from a resident up to a faculty, that it wouldn't be taken as harshly. Right. So we were trying to kill it by volume and, and just say, you know what, what we're going to do, we're going to try to pro provide so much feedback that when you get that negative feedback, it's not going to be perceived in the same way. So people would have a tendency not to. I will tell you that it has worked kind of well, kind of not. And so what res the faculty have sort of uh, gone to is if they really feel strongly about it, they can send me an email. Right. Or we have a sounding committee where the residents can talk to faculty members about if there's a problem with the feedback. Right. So we've provided mechanisms in both directions to to help that. But I mean, I think we also have to remember at the end of the day as educators and, and Pete and I were talking about this at the academy that we have a responsibility to society um, to uh, advance our learners from their floor to their ceiling, right? And, and we're here to optimize who they are as orthopedic surgeons, and we're here to make them great orthopedic surgeons. But we also have a responsibility to not just say, you know, it's okay, we're just going to let you sort of skate through, because that's not good for anybody, right? Um, it's easier, right? We'll all admit that it's easier to let people who may not be as good just get through, because it's a lot more work, right? Because if you fail someone on your rotation, what happens? That person comes back on your rotation someday, Right. And so for a lot of faculty members, they don't really want to go through that. Right. And so we've had to work really hard on understanding that there's different ways to learn. There's different ways to provide feedback. But the more feedback we provide, the better off we're going to be and the better off we're going to be for society um, going forward and getting everyone to their floor from their floor to their ceiling. Bunny, what are your thoughts on this? How do you how do you manage your faculty or, or say it's yourself? I don't know. I mean, how do, how do you manage the fear of negative repercussions from direct and potentially critical, you know, criticism feedback? I mean, I, I, I think this is tough. I think Rob really sort of went through the process that sounds amazing. I don't know if I have a lot to add other than 
I think sometimes calling a spade a spade and sort of saying, you know, I know that sometimes it can be tough to hear negative feedback and only in your betterment. These are the things that maybe I might consider for you in your long-term career and maybe sort of hoping that they understand the longevity of what you're saying. I definitely have had trainees come back, Rachel, and sort of say to me, they thanked me for some of the stuff that I've sort of maybe been hard on them about. So you just hope that the longevity of time and true to sort of being an educator, that that may pan out. But absolutely, I think there's so many repercussions that makes it tough in nowadays age. I think the other thing is sort of sometimes, um, you know, the idea of a, a sandwich of pointing out maybe objective things that are very specific in that real time maybe takes also the severity of it away. Rob points out these sort of real time moments. They also can be very specific and it can allow a trainee to sort of change in real time, maybe specific items instead of feeling that you're criticizing your overall approach on something. I think you yeah, have a really good point on that. Oh, I'm sorry, Pete. No, I was, I think you were about to, I was about to say the same thing that we really like what you just said. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought, Bonnie, you hit it head on right there. I mean, I think if you're in education long enough, you're going to be, you have expectations. All, all four of us have our own expectations that are very high. When you give feedback, your your feedback is based on the fact that you want them to become as good as they possibly come, right? It doesn't matter if it's negative or positive feedback. No one loves giving negative feedback. It's the worst part of my job as program director to sit down with people and provide them negative feedback. But the other part of it is what Bonnie just said. It's amazing, right? Like there are, I can't, can't tell you how many residents and learners have come back and said in no shorter words thank you for being maintaining the expectations and 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 helping me through this i I didn't appreciate it at the time but i appreciate it now um but those are hard right those are really hard to have those conversations but those are probably the most rewarding residents that i've ever worked with are the ones that you know we've had to remediate, we've had to change the way we teach, we've had to do all those, and those are the ones I learn the most from. And it's really amazing, and it's why we're all in education is to help everybody optimize their abilities. I love I Rob. That you... also... Please okay. go ahead. Sorry. No, this is great. You guys well, got conversation <laughs> back and forth this way it should be. And I think one thing I just think that all of us, I mean, and, and all three of you, and, and I hold the utmost is sort of that I always try to remind myself and the residents that we're in the most fantastic field that there is. And these are the top echelon of the top echelon of physicians. And so for all of us to be better, we have to hold our standards high. And I do this to myself every time that I do a case, every sort of time I consider a patient. And just like that, I would want you to feel the same way. And I think sometimes just reminding ourselves of the playing field that we're in kind of puts the trainee at sort of ease of reminding themselves that, you know, it is a incredible field with very talented people and we want to do the best we can for our patients. What I love that you said earlier, Rob, is that, you know, feedback starts with expectations. You you can't give good feedback until, in, unless at the very beginning, you've laid out what you want to say. What I thought that you said, Vani, that was so great is that, you know, you said that it, you don't, you want, the feedback has got to be about whatever's happening and not about the person. Because I think it's one of the things that we don't talk about is it's so easy, I think, for trainees to get defensive and to think I, I'm being attacked. You know, and I, I, one of the things that I, one of the ways I think you can subvert that, and you've brought this up already, uh, Bonnie, is that you, you know, you, 
you make it not about the person. I think you could even go one step further. And I think if you're going to give negative feedback, you want to tell that person as part of the negative feedback, which is exactly what you just said. I know that you're a great person, or I know that you have high standards and what just happened would not be up to the standards you keep for yourself. Maybe I could tell a brief story before I, um, you know, before I became a doctor, I was a, I was a coach. I was a running coach um, at a high school for a year. And um, there was a, a kid that I, 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 you know, I coached track and there was a kid that was one of our, you know, he ran the 200 meters. We were at like the state tournament and he ran, you know, his, you know, the first they have the, the run to determine where, where you're going to start in the final heat. And he ran a not very good time. It was not as good as the other times he'd run all year. Um, and he came to me kind of with his head down. And I, um, you know, at the time I didn't really know what I was doing, but I said something to him that basically I got lucky. I said, you know, that, that run wasn't really like that time is not really befitting of a runner, run of, run of your caliber. And I tell you that he's his, the run he did 10 minutes later was the fastest time he'd like ever run. And he came back to me and he said, he said, you know, I, I just kept thinking what you said, coach, like that, that wasn't me, you know, that I was better than that. And I think that's the key to giving negative feedback is you have to, as part of your feedback, say to that person, I know that you're a great person and I know that you hold high standards and I know that what's happening right now is not something that you like either. And we need to figure out how to get, you know, us to a better, you know, you where whatever's happening to a better place. I want to ask both you guys, you know, we've talked a lot about, and both of you have given great advice about how to do this correctly. Let's talk about some situations where things have gone poorly. Give us some don'ts, some some things that you shouldn't do when you're trying to give negative feedback or ways that ways that you can screw this up. What what do you what do you what do you think, Lonnie? Well, I think getting frustrated. I know when I was a young attending, I would get frustrated at myself and I'm sure the trainee sort of felt that frustration. And ultimately I'm not sure either of us won out of that feedback situation. I definitely think one of those times is sort of sometimes checking myself as well as checking the situation to know it's not about the learner and make sure that they understand that was really sort of a loss for me and a win to try to realize how to do that better. I mean, for, for me, I think it's what we've all been talking about. And I think Bonnie really nicely alluded to is that and Pete, that story, that analogy is phenomenal, right? You, you can't make it personal, right? I mean, I, a lot of times, if it's in the operating room, what I generally do with the residents is I, I, I say, well, you guys, right? Meaning all the residents do it this way. And this is why you guys should do it a different way, right? So it's not about them. I will tell you, the times it's gone bad for me is, is when it's gotten personal, right? And not personal in a way that, but they've taken it personally, right? And or I've done it in front of their peers, right? And, you know, it used to be seen as like pimping and things like that, but it just doesn't go well anymore, right? And so what I think we've all learned is, is that one, you can't make it personal. Two, the more private it is, the more it doesn't seem like it's antagonistic towards them, it's more you're trying to help them. Um, and, and, you know, the third way that's made it bad is, is that when they when they don't have the self-awareness that it went bad, right? So if they stick yeah. the scope into the humerus, right, they know that it's bad. Like any normal human being knows that that's bad, right? But if I providing feedback and they had no idea that they were going to get that negative feedback, that's bad, 
right? And it doesn't go well and they get angry and then they take it personally and they don't really learn from it, right? And, and so um, I'm not saying that they have to have that, but that's the whole goal of having more feedback is that the less feedback you give, the more poorly it will go. I think also one thing that, you know, you touched on, Rob, that can be very frustrating as an attending, you know, or just, you know, in terms of any relationship when you're giving feedback, when the other person doesn't seem interested in hearing it, or they're not open to, to listening to what you might have to say or, or that feedback. And sometimes you feel that you've really dedicated some time and effort and they're not interested. That can be really also disheartening, you know, and, and that sometimes as a faculty member can be difficult to sort of want to keep teaching and training those residents like that. Yeah, I agree. You can you can provide negative feedback and have no negative words in that negative feedback, and that goes way better than the other way, right? So it goes along the same lines. Is it if you you didn't do this, you didn't do this, you didn't do this, you should have done this, this or that, um, and and that's how a lot of us were. If we ever got feedback when we were training, is how we got trained, right? It was all negative, bad feedback, and what we didn't do. Um, so now it's gotta be, well, you did this well, but this is what we could have done better. Kind of like what Vani was saying, like I could have done this better. And well, when we were doing this, that was something that you might've been able to do better, but we did this well, right? Like, it's kind of like when you write an email to your, to your chair or, or like to somebody, you, you started off by giving them lots of compliments and then you provide a little bit of negative and then you thank them very much at the end and appreciate all the efforts they're putting forth, right? Because it's true, you do appreciate what they're doing, but you're trying to get it across. And if all you do is say negative, that goes in one ear and comes out the other, right? They don't they don't even hear it. So you gotta, you gotta sort of coach it, kind of like you did Pete with that runner, right? That was awesome. That's a perfect analogy. Now, Pete, you didn't ask my thoughts on this, but I'm gonna give one quick Pearl that I've at least picked up in my early career of giving feedback in terms of what not to do. And I think one thing that we can all, uh, at least I know I can certainly do better at uh, trying to avoid when giving feedback is to not perseverate, especially in the OR. So if a mistake happened and I say, however, I, I gave the initial feedback, you know, uh, you drilled this way and, and what I'd prefer you to do next time is drill that way and say that changed the course of the next few steps and I had to readjust or accommodate for that, I sometimes will catch myself saying, man, I really wish you hadn't drilled that way or I wish you would have done it this way over and over and over again. And maybe I'm the only one who ever does this, but if anyone else who's listening to this does that, it's not effective. You say it once and you kind of give your feedback in terms of what you would do differently, but when you keep going on about it, the resident either crumbles or starts to get really frustrated and then they just turn off for the rest of the case. Have you guys ever experienced that or, or found yourself in that scenario or is this just me? Absolutely. Rachel, I'm like, Rachel, I always want to hear like that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing because that is exactly what I like. I, I probably still do it. And if my residents are listening right now, they're like, yeah, Gillespie does that. He'll remind me again at the end of the case, what I didn't do at the beginning of the case. And like, I'm, I'm only laughing because you're a hundred percent spot on. It doesn't do any good. Well, I think it's also funny because Rachel, you also have that in your mind sometimes for the next case or the next sort of interaction you have with that same resident. And sometimes you almost have to check yourself at the door, right? Of, ha ha that was funny we really hope don't have that happen again 
but you're calling yourself out. But at the same time, you're sort of remembering what you've got to forget. <laughs> well, and totally. And you're, you're letting, you know, for me anyway, I'm letting myself know I'm getting myself out of this scenario when I'm in, in the heat of the moment, or if each step is not going smooth because this one pivotal step was messed up. I almost feel like sometimes I'm announcing to the scrub or to the circulator or to the rep, yep, we're working through this again. I wish we would have done it the other way so that you feel better about how the case is going. But And and that's okay, but we all have to remember as teaching docs, we can't make the the learner feel horrible over and over and over again just because we're frustrated with how something's going as a direct result of something they did. And I, I find I have to remind myself about that. And if my residents and fellows are listening, they're probably saying, well, Dr. Frank, you, you didn't do so well at that today. Um, I have to remind myself of that every single time. Um, and, and it's a, But I think it's something we can certainly all do better because um, they've heard it and they don't necessarily need to hear it again unless they make that same mistake again. Now, another area we wanted to ask you guys about, and this gets a little bit more challenging, is giving feedback to a peer, a partner, for example. And we, you know, we do this as a group at every institution through M&M, for example. We give constructive criticism that sometimes is constructive and sometimes is just criticism. But what about scenarios that occur within your partnerships, within your practices, within your divisions and departments where you need to give feedback to someone who's on your level within a few years of practice or on the same kind of status? How, how do you do that? And what are the strategies our listeners can benefit from? Bonnie, let's start with you. What are your thoughts here? Well, I think it's tough. I think some of us generationally didn't grow up receiving a lot of feedback. So our openness to receive it as we get older and further along in our training is even or in our profession, professional careers can be difficult. I think sometimes sort of maybe taking the opportunity of saying, you know, this is something that I, you know, might perceive or how might you want to receive or sort of asking them and finding out kind of the way that they communicate best so that whenever those scenarios do happen, you kind of have the platform of what works best for them. I think knowing your colleagues and taking a little bit of time to sort of figure out how, you know, that you realize that they're not on the attack and together you guys might try to work through a situation, sometimes laying the situation out clearly to both of you and sort of this is where I'm coming from, this is the situation that happened, and sort of having them walk through it with you is a little bit more productive than sort of just sort of laying out what you think they did wrong and why. Yeah, I mean, I would say that actually this is something that we as a profession especially are really terrible at, right? Whether it's, you know, checking off the boxes for the ABOS saying someone's great while they're sitting for the oral boards or, you know, even within our own faculty. Um, if I could give a piece of advice on this, I think it goes back to how we're learning how to educate our residents and fellows. And that is, I think there's always two sides to a story on this, right? So something that looks like it was, went terribly wrong and could have gone much better and needed feedback. I think you you as a person trying to provide that feedback to a partner or a colleague needs to hear that side first, right? So it goes back to the same kind of thing that I found a really good success with, with providing negative feedback with the residents that you sort of ask for their side of the story. Be like, Hey, I saw this case. The residents mentioned this case to me. I just was wondering, you know, you know, just sort of interested in hear how it went, 
right? And a lot of times, I mean, 99% of us are, are trying to do the right thing, right? And so sometimes they'll actually provide that feedback that you want to provide just on their own. And you can open a really good conversation with it like that. So to me, that's the way to do it. But I would say that we're really bad at it, but we need you need to start those conversations with, hey, this just came up, was wondering your thoughts on it, how it went, what, you know, any thoughts, right? And leave it open-ended. Um, because if you come at them and be like, I don't know what the hell you heck you were doing, right? Like this is a, like, I'm not sure why you put the reverse in this way and this and that. And like, you know, what were you thinking? Like, no one takes that feedback. Well, whether it's my kids, my residents, my med students, you know, my fellow, um, my fellow colleagues, whether they're in the community or at, at case. I think one thing you point out, Rob, and I think that like, as we learn and grow in terms of how to give feedback and sort of is one thing is sort of kind of understanding a situation in your own personal biases before you even come into that conversation is really important. I think sometimes we all come from it from our own perspective, but just taking a moment, you know, sort of they talk about in negotiations, looking at the other side, what their, you know, win-lose situation is, what yours is, and just checking that and that before we address those situations of negative feedback is really important. Because sometimes you can take the bias out of it and sort of listen to the open conversation a lot better. I love your advice here about understanding your motivations when you address a peer, because I think so often we're not very good, or even when you have that conversation saying, I understand that I have this bias or I have this conflict of interest that impels me to think a certain way. Let's take this even one step further. You know, we all exist within hierarchies. Everyone's got a boss. So sometimes your boss does something and it negatively influences you or you feel like there's a decision that's made that was not well considered. So how do you provide feedback to a boss or someone else who's above you in the hierarchy? Do you handle that differently than you would handle a peer or a trainee? How do you handle that situation? What are your thoughts? This is getting harder. <laughs> Rob, uh, you're up. <laughs> yeah. I was like waiting for Bonnie to jump in. Usually she and I are not lost for words or you're getting close, Pete and Rachel, on this. Um, I think this is really hard, Pete. I mean, I think this is where like it actually gets really hard for residents and which is why it was set up anonymously for residents to provide feedback to faculty. Because if it wasn't done anonymously, there's a lot of repercussions for that, right? Because if your boss writes your paycheck, your boss determines how you get promoted, your boss does this, does that. Providing negative feedback to that person is incredibly difficult, um, especially if you have to do it in person. So I would I would say if it is, it's one of those providing feedbacks. Again, going back to some of the keys of, of this of open endedness um, in private, you know, right to minimize any kind of embarrassment or evidence of of ego. Uh, understanding that there's a conflict on, of interest on these. These are all amazing points, but I, I think that. Again, I think you have to approach it in the open-endedness of this situation occurred. I have my own biases of why this situation occurred, but I thought it was really important to talk about it. You set up a meeting, you schedule a meeting, right? So it's not in the hallway. It's not in the heat of battle. It's not any one of those things. Again, as long as it's not compromising patient care and you sit down and if your boss is a reasonable person about these kind of things, I think you can sort of hash out and, and most of the time my bet is is that both sides have reasonable points of why something happened and then it gets settled, right? Um, I have the luxury 
of having probably one of the best chairs in the country, right? And so I could always have those conversations. And we have lots of conversations about not necessarily what he and I do better or worse, but about everything, right? And so I, again, open-endedness to the start of the conversation in private. So you're decreasing the risk of embarrassment to either of you and, um, and making sure if it's not compromising patient care, it's done at a time where emotions will not be as high. Yeah, I love what you said about coming in. Open I was gonna say, Go ahead. Peter, the only thing I was going to say too, is sort of understanding, you know, the idea of EI, you know, in, in, in this century is actually kind of an archaic term, but sort of the idea of sort of understanding the way that your boss is, their best communication style, their sort of approach to things and sort of understanding how, when, where contextually, you know, Rob has this wonderful chair that he has that relationship. And sometimes it's formal and sometimes it's scheduling a meeting and making sure it's appropriate and being prepared and sending the email ahead of time. So I think every situation on those boss or those hierarchical structures takes a little bit of like emotional intelligence to know who you're dealing with and taking some time to maybe approach them in the way that they might best receive it. I would add to that, because that's a great point. I would add to that, that any kind of feedback you want to provide to your boss, in my opinion, and this is just mine, should not be done on text, email, or social media, right? Meaning that I've not found the emotion to be appropriate on a written forum on this. I think they're much better done in person on these kind of things, which is why we do all of our mid-year reviews and things like that with our residents um, in, in person and things like that. Because I, I just think written feedback uh, always seems to get taken the wrong way um, because there's no emotional context to it. Yeah, I think that's phenomenal advice. I think the other thing that you mentioned in the beginning that's really important for this, for this situation is to understand that usually when there's a power hierarchy, there's also an informational hierarchy. And often when I've been critical of a superior, I try and go in and say, tell me what you know that I don't know that's led you to make this decision. Because there's usually something that I don't know. There's usually some wrinkle to it. There's some information they have that gives them a more complete picture. And often, once you understand that, sometimes you say, oh, actually, I would have made the same decision if I was in your position. Or sometimes you can tell them, if that's all you know, there's something you don't know that might change your mind. Um, and then the written part is so critical. Rach, what 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 are what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I I think this is going to be such a difficult situation. And I you you pointed out earlier when we talked through these questions, I think it's so critical. This is the way the re our residents feel when they're trying to give us feedback. Yeah, I think so. I I love all the points that are brought up, and and I think a lot of these meetings should be ideally face to face, not even on Zoom, because people can get there's a lot of problems with that. These types of difficult conversations should be in person. I think one thing that's really helped me with respect to feedback with peers and my superiors is I schedule regular meetings, be it quarterly meetings for people that I know I'm going to have to either give or receive feedback from. And the reason I do this is because even if we have like for, for one of them, it's a monthly meeting and we call it our five minute check-in meeting. And we do that. And if everything's going great, we kind of give each other a high five and we say, this is awesome. You're awesome. Everyone's awesome. And then we go on about our day. And then at the next meeting, if something's not going great, 
it's already scheduled. And so you're not just scheduling meetings to put out fires or to give negative feedback. You have regular meetings and the negative feedback or putting out fires is just a regular part of that. And I think that that takes some heat off the situation. And that has really helped me. I found early on in practice, I, I got the most stressed about negative situations and feedback when we'd have to have meetings upon meetings for small issues that then became big issues. And it seemed like you only met with that person in a negative scenario. And so now I have regular meetings with people I, I, I need to have feedback with the most, whether I'm giving it or getting it. And it just makes it so much more palatable. Have you guys found that as part of your strategy when you meet with, you know, your peers or superiors or, you know, your trainees, regular meetings versus just when it's bad, let's meet? No, but I think I'm going to take that up. Thanks. That's great advice, Rachel. Yeah, Rachel, I think that's amazing, right? Like, I mean, I think that goes back to the fact that the more feedback you get, right? If every meeting you have with your program director, or your chair, or your or your one of your peers is not negative, you're not you don't have that gut thought, right? And so, like, if you have regular scheduled meetings, you know, like end of rotation, this and that, um, it's going to be perceived as being much better, and I think the negative feedback will be taken in a much better way, right? Then the, if the only time you ever meet with somebody, right? It's like getting called to the principal's office, right? Like, you know, when you got called to the principal's office, it wasn't to tell you what a great job you were doing because they would come to the class and tell everyone how great Rachel Frank had done, right? Like, so if you're getting called to the principal's office is a bad thing. Now, if you had regularly scheduled monthly visits with the principal, like that may be good, that may be bad, but it wasn't automatically perceived as bad. You didn't come in defensive. Right. So I think having more regular scheduled meetings with your peers, with those you report to and with those that report to you is an awesome thing. Yeah, this is I mean, it's really helped me even with office managers and the admin staff, because oftentimes those meetings are not so fun for us. And and so it's been really great to just say, hey, this is going really well. I got no new news for you this month or you know, if a fire comes up, we know that we can put it out at the next meeting, especially if it's not urgent that we have to have, you know, a talk. And so it's just been really helpful for me in those scenarios. I I want to ask you guys, we're getting close to the to the end of the podcast, but I, because we have both of you on and you're you're so experienced and knowledgeable with this, I want to I want to ask a little bit of a difficult question. And so you can you can say you don't want to answer if you don't want to answer, but I think this comes up more often than we think with our residents and when we're receiving feedback ourselves. Do you guys, don't ask each of you, do you approach or feel like you need to approach giving feedback, particularly if it's negative, to someone of the opposite sex differently? So, Vani, do you feel like if you're giving feedback to a, a female trainee versus a male trainee, you have to approach it differently or their perception of you, even if you say the same thing in the same tone, is different? And then, Rob, same for you. Just, just curious on this because I, I find that... Uh, this is a, a real issue and and potentially can cause some problems. Bonnie, let's start with you on this. Well, you know, I think that um, perhaps I might approach that differently, Rachel. I think there are different personalities of trainees. And so I actually don't know if I think it's a gender-specific thing, but I think my awareness of that being of a different gender is really poignant. But I actually have found that I've found it less to be about gender and more to be about the type of personality. Some of my residents are talkers. Some of them, like you guys said, might say that first thing they say negative, they shut down. And really understanding the personality of my resident 
has been, I think, key. But I actually have found that it's more of a generational and much more of a personality thing than a gender-specific thing. Yeah, this is probably one of the most difficult questions that you guys could ask on a podcast, right? Because it deals with gender relations in a, in a field where there's disparity um, and inequity uh, throughout, right? And we're all, as, as program directors, trying to increase our uh, underrepresented minorities, which for me are um, Alaskan-American, Hispanic-American, African-American, and if I'm being honest, uh, um, females, right? And so if you're asking me how I provide the feedback differently, I think it doesn't even start with the program director. I think there's a change in perception. I learned a ton from some of my female uh, residents over the last few years. And and I had to be very careful about microaggressions and things like that. But our best orthopedic surgery resident in terms of hands in the last you know seven or eight years was a female and I learned a ton from her, right? Because she was confident, she was great. And she would always make the point of things like that there's a different, um, there's a different perception and different standard for the female residents than there was for the males, at least in the sort of the last 10 years, right? Not as much now maybe, but in the last 10 years ago. And that if she was aggressive, right? she was seen in a way different way than a guy who was aggressive, meaning someone who really worked to get into the operating room, worked to keep the, the knife in their hand and things like that. Right. And, and that there was a different perception of that. And as a, as a result, they were evaluated differently. Right. And so I had to learn a lot from my female residents in terms of how I go about providing the feedback from the residency program, but also from, from me myself. And that I think that Vani's correct that a lot of times it's not, a gender difference. It's a learner difference, like how they learn, right? Like how do they take that feedback? But I, I do think there's a difference. And I do think I, to acknowledge that there's differences is okay. Right. As long as you don't just make sweeping judgments about those differences. And what I mean by that is that like, not all males are the same, not all females are the same, not all genders are the same. Right. And, and so you can go in with like, well, I think it's going to go this way, but you have to be willing to adjust based on who that human being is. Right. And so I, I do think there's some adjustments to how you have to do things, but I think Vanya is probably correct. It's less to do with gender, more to do with learning style. I want to thank both of you guys for coming on and answering the questions as we ratcheted them up in difficulty. Both of you were awesome. I mean, this was just a wealth of great advice for people out there looking to make their teams better by providing feedback in the right situations. Um, I, I know you guys' time is valuable and we really appreciate you giving us an hour of it to talk this through. So thanks again. And I'm sure the listeners will love this. Thanks, thanks for having us. This was awesome. Yeah, I'll echo Pete. Thank you guys so much. And because we ran out of time, we spared any of your residents or fellows who are listening. We were going <laughs> to ask you for direct feedback on them as they, as they operate today, but they're spared. So they, you know, they don't have to worry about it again. Thank you so much. This, this was phenomenal. We could certainly go on for another hour. We just don't have the time, but we want to thank you for spending the time with us. And for all of our shoulder and elbow listeners out there, please don't forget to subscribe. And for Pete Chalmers, I'm Rachel Frank, and we'll see you next time.